Okay, uh, let me welcome you to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. I'm your host, Warren Landis. I'm also the Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA, and we especially want to listen, welcome all of our listeners um, on platforms like Spotify and Anchor FM and many of the other platforms that we do Sunshine USA on. Uh, it is a great joy to have you uh, tuned in to the broadcast for this evening. Now, on the last program, you will recall, we finished up our Bible study of the book of 2 Corinthians. And now we're ready to go into Galatians. Now, I, I said at the end of the last broadcast, I hadn't decided where we were going to go in our broad, in our Bible study next. And so after prayer and consideration, um, I decided to go into the book of Galatians. It comes right after 2 Corinthians, and I said, that seems logical to me. And so tonight we will officially begin our Bible study in uh, the book of Galatians. Uh, so without any further ado, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to um, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Now, since I did not make it clear uh, where we would go next with our Bible study, I imagine that some of you may or may not have read the first chapter in Galatians already. So I would suggest if you haven't, go ahead and do so. It will be a blessing to you. And then you might want to go back and listen to my commentary again on this chapter and then also before the next podcast, go ahead and read Galatians chapter 2, and we ought to be in pretty good shape. Now, I want you to look at Galatians chapter 1, starting with verse 1. And here we read, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father, who has raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me. Now, one thing that Paul is doing here, he is identifying himself clearly and undisputably as the writer of Galatians. And he's also emphasizing the fact that he is an apostle, not sent by man or men, but rather he has been sent by God himself. And this is a point that Paul repeatedly makes in all of his writings. Uh, he points out that no man has appointed him an apostle or qualified him to be an apostle. He is an apostle because he was called into that position by God himself. And then he says to the churches of Galatia, to the churches of Galatia. So it's clear here that Paul is not writing to a single church. Now, last time in First and Second Corinthians, Paul was addressing his remarks primarily to one church, one congregation, and that would be the church at Corinth. But in this case, Paul is uh, addressing... Uh, the churches of Galatia. Now, Galatia was kind of like a region. There was a certain number of churches in that region, and these are the churches that Paul is writing to 
uh, in the book of Galatians. And he says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so this is a typical Pauline um, introduction. And it makes it uh, very unlikely that anybody other than Paul wrote the book of Galatians. And I might add, as far as I know, uh, there's no serious theological dispute about Paul being the writer of Galatians. Um, he talks about the Lord Jesus Christ who um, gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present age according to the will of God and Father to whom glory forever and ever be. Amen. And so he points out that it is Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. In other words, he died and shed his blood on the cross so that you and I could have eternal life, so that you and I would know what it is to know Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 6, he says, I am amazed how quickly you are deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is not even a gospel. Evidently, some people are troubling you and trying to distort the gospel of Christ. Well, of course, you know, people are doing the same thing today. People today are deserting, it seems, the gospel of Jesus Christ as it really is. And it's not just rank-and-file church members that are doing this. I mean, even pastors, in my opinion, are guilty of this terrible sin because they're preaching on positive things and possibility thinking, positive thinking, instead of focusing their preaching on the old-fashioned, time-tested gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, um, as preachers, we're not supposed to focus on current events and entertainment. We are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Um, I think philosophy is a great thing. But I don't think philosophy is what we ought to be preaching in the pulpit on Sunday morning. It ought to be the old-fashioned, tried-and-true, time-tested gospel of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. No question about that. Okay, and then Paul goes on to say in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be under a curse. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be under a curse. Now, Paul is very confident 
that he is preaching the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ. And really, the gospel of Jesus Christ in its simplest form is very simple, very direct. God loved us. God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the whole world. And um, that is the gospel, along with the fact that he rose from the dead three days later. And now he's up in heaven preparing a place for us. And boy, I tell you, that's got to be a beautiful place. I mean, when you think about how beautiful a place this world is, a world that he created in six days, can you imagine how beautiful heaven's going to be when he's had over 2,000 years to work on that project. Amen. Amen. I get blessed and excited every time I think about it. And I especially get excited when I think about the new bodies that we're going to have. New bodies that cannot experience pain. New bodies that cannot experience suffering. New bodies that aren't going to get old and feeble and achy like the ones we've got now. I can hardly wait. <laughs> I tell you, I don't think I could live to age 100 in this body, let alone through all eternity. <laughs> I tell you. But I just take it one day at a time. <laughs> but I sure do get excited thinking about that new body. I get excited about getting to meet our, uh, I mean, pardon me, our saved loved ones up in heaven, our Christian saved loved ones up in heaven that we haven't seen in so many years. Uh, I think about my grandmother who died in 93, my grandfather who died in 61. I think about my mother who died in 98, and my dad who died just a couple of years ago in 2019. I think about the joy that I expect to have meeting my loved ones that have gone on before. I get excited about that. I get thrilled about that. I can hardly wait to see what God <laughs> has in store for me. <laughs> I tell you, and I think it's going to be grander and more glorious than anything I can possibly imagine. Now, Paul in... Uh, Verse 10 over here, he says, Am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? Now, you know, this is a very important point. You know, as preachers, you and I are not to be in the business of pleasing men or trying to go for man's approval. You see, here's how it is. I preach what the Lord tells me to preach. If you like it, that's great. If you don't, it doesn't matter. I have to preach what the Lord God himself has called on me to preach. And that's nothing less than the old-fashioned, time-tested gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, I can be a servant of man, 
or I could be a servant of Christ. But if I'm trying to please man, then I can't call myself a servant of Christ. Or if I call myself a servant of Christ, then there's no need for me to try to please man. None whatsoever. Amen. For I certify to you, brothers, that the gospel I preached was not devised by man. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ himself. In other words, what Paul is emphasizing here, I didn't receive this gospel from Peter and the other disciples. I did not receive this gospel from any body of men. I received this gospel that I preached by direct revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He goes on to say, For you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I severely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries and, it, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now, you know, there was a sense in which when Paul was hard at work persecuting all these Christians, you know what? Paul had the opinion that he was doing the work of God because he was standing up for the traditions of his fathers. He was defending the Jewish faith, or so he thought. But, Paul goes on to say, when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Okay? So Paul says, what I'm doing now, this thing called preaching the gospel, I have been called and set apart from the, for this from my mother's womb. And he called me by his grace and was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him, that is Christ, among the Gentiles. Now really, I've said all along that I think this was a very smart strategy that Paul received from God preaching mainly to the Gentiles as opposed to the Jews. Under the circumstances, we know that Paul was not going to be well-received among the Jews because they saw Paul as a persecutor, and they weren't so sure that Paul had even abandoned his desire to persecute Christians. They were of the opinion that Paul had decided to infiltrate the church so we could find out even more about where the Christians were so that he could persecute them. They didn't trust Paul. And so it was probably a pretty good idea for Paul to do exactly what he did and focus on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He says, I did not rush to consult 
with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to the apostles who came before me, but I went into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. So Paul says, even these apostles, who of course were apostles long before Paul became an apostle, you might have thought Paul would have gone to them to learn the ropes and to get instructions, but no, that was not the case. Paul says he went to Arabia. And apparently, as we're going to see in just a few moments, he went to Arabia for three years. And for three years, he was being taught and shown things by Jesus Christ himself. Paul says, only after three years did I go up to Jerusalem to confer with Cephas, that is Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days or about two weeks. But I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was personally unknown. However, to the churches of Judea that are in Christ, they only heard the account, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. In other words, what Paul is saying here, he said, the church that I once tried to destroy, I am now a part of. The faith that I once tried to extinguish, I am now a part of. And so there were many who supported Paul and they glorified God because of me. So as you can see, Paul had a lot to say in this first chapter of Galatians. Once again, he's trying to thoroughly um, explain himself. He wants to make it sure that these people in Galatia understand that indeed and in fact he has a ministry sent from God. Not a ministry that is dictated to him by some group of men. If Paul were living in our day he would say I did not receive my message from denominational officials but rather I received my message from none other than the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now let's uh, take a brief look at number two, or chapter number two, and here we come to the Council of Jerusalem. Now I want to set the stage, first of all, for the council at Jerusalem. I want to point out that in this council of Jerusalem, 
a decision has to be made about what to do with the Gentiles. More and more Gentiles were coming to Christ. A lot of this, the result of Paul's own ministry, Paul focusing on the Jew that he was sent by God to witness to. And so many of these Gentiles were coming to Christ that the whole idea was, what do we do to them? What do we require of them? And so I want you to um, think about that. Now, there's a reference to all this in Acts chapter 15, verses 5 through 21. Now, if I were doing a thorough job of teaching this, I would probably direct you to that scripture and comment on it and then come back to this. But we're just going to stick to Galatians for right now. Paul says, 14 years later I went up to Jerusalem accompanied by Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I spoke privately to those recognized as leaders for fear that I was running or had already run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This issue arose because some false brothers had come in under false pretenses to spy on our freedom in Jesus Christ in order to enslave us. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But as for the highly esteemed, whatever they... Um, were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. Those, la those leaders added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted to preach the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been circumcised, had been sent to, in effect, preach to the circumcised. For the one who was at work in Peter's apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in my apostleship to the Gentiles. In other words, I think what Paul is trying to say here, I did not view Peter as a competitor. We were basically players on the same team. It's just that he had one job and I had another job. His job was to reach uh, the Jewish converts. And then the Gentile converts, they were reached by Paul. And recognizing the grace that I had been given, James, Cephas, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So, Paul makes it very clear that there was no big fight between him and Peter, James, John, and the others. 
We had fellowship with each other. We got along great with each other. I recognize that Peter, for example, was primarily sent to the Gentiles, and I was primarily sent to bear witness to the, the, the Gentiles. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul didn't preach to any of the Jews, and it doesn't mean that Peter and others didn't occasionally preach to Gentiles. I mean, it would be hard not to do that to some degree. But Peter's main focus was the Jews, just as Paul's main focus was uh, the Gentiles. And then we find that Paul confronts Cephas. Now, when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, however, I opposed him to his face because he stood to be condemned. For before certain men came from James, he refused to eat with the Gentiles. But when he arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself for fear of those in the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not walking in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, If you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Now you see, that's a very important point. We as Christians need to remember we're not saved by keeping the law. No man could be saved by keeping the law. When you look at the Ten Commandments and the laws that go with it, you have to come to one conclusion. This is utterly completely humanly impossible. There's no way I can keep the law, even if I strive to do so. But, 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 I have to recognize I am saved by God's grace. By grace am I uh, saved through faith. Amen. That's how we get faith. That's how we get saved. But if, while we seek to be justified in Christ, we ourselves are found to be sinners, does that make Christ a minister of sin? Certainly not. If I rebuild what I have already torn down, I prove myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for it is righteousness comes through the law. Christ died for nothing. That, of course, brings us to the end of Galatians chapter number 2. Now, here's what we need to understand from this chapter. Paul is pointing out, among other things, we should not be hypocrites. 
we should live the faith that we profess. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to live like a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't say one way and then live another way. Now, I know it's very stylish for some men to say, don't do as I do, do as I say do. But biblically, that doesn't wash. We should make sure that we are not a hypocrite. That we live what we say we believe. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. That will pretty much bring us to an end, or bring to an end, our presentation of Galatians chapter number 2. Next time I'll begin commentary on Galatians chapter number 3. <laughs> now, I, I surprised myself a little bit. I didn't think that I would actually cover two chapters tonight, but I did. And so I'm very grateful for that. Now, I want us to think about the fact that we have a great God who loves us dearly, he has grace that is so much greater than any sin we could commit. And I have to admit, I've done my share. I wish I could get in front of this radio microphone and tell you that I have never, ever sinned against God ever since I got saved. But if I said that, I would be lying to you. And people that know me best would also know that I'm lying to you. I have to admit that at the very best, I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. A sinner saved by the grace of God. And I can tell you right now, I'm not what I used to be. But I can also tell you, I'm not yet what I want to be. And that's why I try to spend every day that I can spending as much time with the Lord as I can getting out the life-saving, life-changing gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and telling people everywhere, all throughout the world, how much God loves them and how much God wants to give them a brand new life. And uh, I would love hearing from you. I've got two email addresses. One email address is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. The other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. And using either one of those email addresses, you can ask me uh, any number of Bible study questions. You can ask me um, um, to pray about anything going on in your life that you need prayer for. And if you give me permission to do so, I'll even be glad to share these Bible study questions and prayer requests with our unseen, unnumbered radio audience so that people around the world can be praying for you. Now, I tell you, uh, it blesses my heart to know that Christians around the world are praying for me. And I'm praying for them. They don't know me in many cases. I don't know them. 
but we can pray for each other, and I thank God for that. Well, that brings us to the end of another broadcast. This is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you, and guess what? I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.